0: Hello, this is Richard Williams, guitar player for the band Kansas, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. I'll be your host, John. In episode 55, we'd like to welcome Aaron to the show. Aaron has been uh, a friend of mine for a very, very long time, and uh, he's going to be helping out with some of the interviews that we've been doing lately. So we turned Aaron loose with uh guitarist and one of the uh, a long, long time—I believe in 1974—joined the band Richard Williams of the band Kansas. Uh, Kansas had a multitude of hits in kind of a progressive sort of southern rock style. Kansas will be making their way to the first Niagara Pavilion here in Pittsburgh on June 24th, this Thursday, performing A Foreigner and Sticks. So you've got a great night of classic rock. So without further ado, we're going to play a song, uh, actually just a piece of a song called Song for America, taken from the 2002 live release from Kansas called The Vice Voice Drum. And then we're going to get into the interview with Aaron. <laughs>
2: I have with me today, uh, Rich Williams, the guitarist for Kansas, who will be playing the show tonight, uh, June 24th, at the First Niagara Pavilion, along with Foreigner and Sticks. So, Rich, how you doing? Doing great. Great, great. Um, so, what can you tell us, tell us about Kansas? What have you guys been up to lately?
0: Well, uh, we've been doing this uh, for the last, uh, uh, it's going to be about two months uh, with uh, Foreigner and Sticks, uh, Playing uh, four and five nights a week, it's it's going great. Uh, been a great response everywhere we've been. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. We've played with Sticks uh, a lot of times since the 70s. We did their reunion tour in '96. Uh, we've gone to Europe with them. Uh, we played a lot of shows since then. Uh, Foreigner, we did the Foreigner Four tour in Europe. Uh, we played with them ever since that too. So. The bands get along very well together. We know each other well. Our crews all get along. They've known each other a long time. So it's it's a great working atmosphere. Backstage is fun. Uh, We all sit down and eat dinner together. It's just, it's all the way it's really supposed to be. It's a really smooth sailing ship.
2: That sounds fantastic. This is just awesome. So, yeah, I I noticed that... um you tend to play uh, Paul Reed Smith guitars. Are, are those the only guitars you're playing now, or what, what other guitars have you played over the years?
0: Um, yeah, I've been playing j- just Paul Reed Smith guitars for, oh gosh, since the 80s. Um, it's I got one and loved it, and that's kind of all I've I played since. I, most of the time I played my first one that I got. Uh, I also have a, uh, the first year, uh, number 36 of the PRS Dragon. That's, that's kind of, that's my backup that I play. I just, uh, it's got a stock tailpiece on it. And I, you know, I use, uh, vibrato a bit. And so, uh, and that's what my, my original blonde guitar has on it. So it's, well, I've played the Dragon, you know, entire tours before it's, uh, I really like to have that vibrato there and it's, when you don't play the dragon for a while, it takes a little getting used to because there's no markings on the neck. You just have that, like what, 212 pieces of inlay on it, but there's no distinct markings of where you are on the neck. And when I played it all the time, I was used to it. But now that I don't play it all the time, it's I look at it and go, "Holy crap! What, <laughs> where are the notes?" It just turns into a blur. So it's, uh, yeah, it's now my backup guitar.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Wow, yeah, I can see where that'd, that'd be a heck of a challenge. So what led you to play guitar,
0: Rich? Um, I wanted to play guitar... Uh, yeah, after I saw Ed Sullivan show with the Beatles on it uh, back in the early 60s, and me, as so many people have talked with, uh, about every kid in Topeka, Kansas, everybody wanted to be in a band. And uh, at that time... Uh, that speak exploded with musicians. Uh, there was a garage band on every block in town. Uh, music stores were flourishing. Uh, there was, uh, I mean, virtually everybody I knew was in a band. Uh, that's that's what everybody wanted to do. Actually, you there was there was three channels on television at the time. You know, the, going to the mall wasn't yet a hobby. There was no video games or anything. Uh, we didn't have a beach to run to uh the main focus was you know was listening to radio and you know getting get caught up in the that wave of the whole British invasion and wanting to do that so that's kind of what we all did that was you know that was passing time and it was not it was very easy to. To practice because there wasn't anything else to do either. Uh, I think for kids these days it's probably harder to stay focused because there are, are so many options. Some of the things, so many things are uh, instantly gratifying. You know, great yeah, You really, you have to focus on it, to yeah. commit time to it over and over and over again. It's, it's, and uh, it is the reward from it is just a lot longer in coming. And a lot of people just you know, oh heck with this, you know, this you know I can play this and be good at it in 15 minutes.
2: Yeah, isn't that the truth? It's it's funny you mention that. I teach guitar, so I have a bunch of students that um, you know, some of them actually w- want to start playing guitar because of um, the games like Guitar Hero, you know, those those video yeah. games. And it, it's amazing, you know, they get frustrated so much faster now than they did when I was you know start teaching like 10, 15 years ago. I mean, sure you're right,
0: there's so many distractions yeah uh, i I think they like uh both of my sons uh were were interested in it, but uh, you know as was my daughter but I think what they really liked was the idea of playing one But, yeah. you know and to to get them to understand that you you know by having one and kind of holding it. Doesn't make you a player. You actually have to do something with it, and that was the part that they just didn't like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think of um, these video games that are featuring songs like "Carry On My Wayward Son"? How how does that feel to see those on um, like the Rock Band games and Guitar Hero? What do you think of that?
0: That was great. Uh, anything that gets people <laughs> interested in music. Uh, I think it's a good thing um you in in a in a really back door way it's kind of a side effect because they really learn music uh they learn a lot about you know the rhythm things and how parts come and go and how you know to, you know hand coordination all these things i don't think they're 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 not think they are they are not they are not trying to learn this, but they learn them anyway uh and it's and uh, i hear some people go well that's not a real guitar, they're not really playing well. So what? You know, they're having fun and they're actually learning a lot about music and a lot of people go on and, you know, well, who is this band? That's Kansas. Well, then they read about us, you know, on the internet and stuff and they become fans by you know, listening to more stuff. And I, I'm i sure there are thousands of kids that, that, you know, after doing that for a while, went to the parents and said, I want to get a real guitar. You know, I, you, know, I, you know, I'm really getting interested in this and that, that's something I would like to do. I'm sure it is brought a lot of kids to playing instruments that normally wouldn't. So I, I think it's all positive. Then GarageBand, uh, that's brought whole families together in a way that I've never seen before. Uh, we have families now that come to our concerts all doing something together That and they're not dragging the kids along or the kids are dragging them to something. They're all there together enjoying something that they all do together. Uh, so all great things.
2: That's awesome. Um, so, Rich, if you had to pick a favorite Kansas
0: record, what do you think? What record do you think it would be and why? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I have left Overture in a lot of ways because that was really the one that that broke us out of the pack, and so yeah, that was a very important record for us. My favorite project we've done is, the, is uh there's no place like home. The the DVD that we just did last year. Um personally I like Kansas Live better than any other version. Um going in the studio that's that's all fine, but it's kind of a it's an assembly line procedure of kind of it's not very organic in the way all this gets put together. Yeah. Uh what is live, it's that's that's capturing the moment. And I, I just I, there's something about it there's an energy about live that I just like better. Uh that's you know again, we're, we're a band that's what bands do uh i never could understand how somebody could like you know go in the studio make a record and release it and then sell it and be satisfied with that um i didn't get into the, to the music business to sell records so much as i did to get in to play guitar and, and be in a band and that, that's, what, that's what I do. I mean, I'm a musician, and so I play. I don't want to sit there and, you know, bask in the glory of people buying records. Uh, that, that's all fine and dandy, and that puts groceries on the table. But it's not any fun. <clears throat> you know, going on the road, traveling with a bunch of guys, all around the country, all around the world, performing. That's what A musician is bred to do.
2: Yeah, that's really what it's all about. I mean, you know, being a guitar player myself, it's really no fun to, you know, make something that somebody hears but you can't play it over and over. I mean, you you pick up, you play because you play, you know, because you have fun. I, I so agree with that.
0: Yeah, so, uh, that's what musicians do. I mean, you play. Yeah. If I wasn't doing this in Kansas, I'd be playing in a local bar somewhere. I mean, I, just, I like to play guitar.
2: Now, Kansas has a very, very distinct sound. I mean, I, I can hear hear you guys come on the radio almost any time and know instantly it's Kansas. Um, how did you guys come about developing that lush, dense, almost very orchestral sound with with those vocal harmonies? Like, what led to that? Did it start out like, "Hey, this is what we're gonna do"? Or did that progress over time?
0: It just we just did what we what came natural for us. Uh, we didn't go after anything. We didn't, you know. I get asked similar questions to this a lot, and you know it's like I think people expect some very heady answer about how we all got together and had this concept of creating the sound and, and, and you know, we just threw a bunch of guys together that we liked the combination and we just start doing what came natural i mean we were a terrible copy band we couldn't you know, we wouldn't we couldn't sound like anybody else uh uh because you know it just didn't want to. it's like. You know, working up somebody else's material. Go, well, that's not the right guitar play. You need to play it like this. You know, well, but I don't want to play it like that. And besides that, this middle section sucks. So we need to write our own part. <laughs> and so, um, from the get-go, uh, even when we were, were a copy band, we did it our way. Uh, and while we sucked as a copy band, we made some pretty interesting arrangements by redoing things. And looking back now, I realize that really what we were doing was fine-tuning how we would go about doing everything we do. It was just doing it our way. You know, imitation is not something that was ever anything we wanted to do. You know, here, well, here's this new song by so and so. We need to sound like that. No, we don't. I can remember years ago, management. Coming out of Los Angeles was brought this record in and was going. You know, here's the new hot thing in in, in California. You guys need to maybe try going this direction. And it was at six eight six seven five three zero nine. And it's like (laughs) you don't really know what we are at all, do you? I mean, why in the world? But but it was popular, see. You know, and maybe if we jumped on some popular trend we can catch another wave and the, the uh, No, that we we were, we've never been able to this is not what we do.
2: Well I would say that after thirty five years as a band, <clears throat> I would say that you guys have proved um well beyond a shadow of a doubt that what you do is something quite amazing. Um so did you ever think that you'd be doing this for thirty five years?
0: Uh no. Um, actually, I didn't think I'd be doing it for 15 years, but at 30 years, I knew I would be doing it, 35 years, um, come around 30 year mark, it was clear that we had our foot in the door and we had a fan base and we weren't, nothing about our popularity was radio driven, especially pop radio driven. Or media driven. It was all basically on, you know, word of mouth and fan base and a a legacy. Uh, I don't know, something about after 30 years, you become kind of a, there's, even if you you love us or hate us, there's something that's been around that long that it becomes a bit legendary. It was kind of like a living, breathing, performing Mount (laughs) Rushmore. Wow.
2: So in the 1980s, um, Steve Morse joined the band. How did he come to join the band?
0: How did he become to join?
2: Yeah, like, how did, how did that collaboration come about?
0: Well, um, we were... We hadn't done anything for a few years, and me and Phil were kind of trying to figure out who Kansas was going to be next, because we we had kind of scattered into the wind. Uh, Steve Walsh was, was straight. Uh, Dave and Kerry had moved on. Uh, Robbie had long ago left the band. Uh, Elfonte, you know, said, I don't want to do this anymore with you guys. So, even so, I had recorded a record deal, but no band. Um, well, uh, the Dixie Dragons weren't working. Uh, we, were, we were based out of Atlanta. The Dixie Dregs were based out of the Atlanta area. We've, so we were all kind of peers anyway. Uh, streets, was done. So Phil contacted uh Steve and said, do you want to try this again? And sure. Uh, well who's gonna play bass? Well Phil said, I don't know, uh was well, uh, Billy Greer's with me was great, you know, we he's a great singer, why don't he come in? So there was the four of us, uh and Steve Morris lived right around the corner, you know. What do you think? You wanna do this? Sure, sense us off well. Uh Started another version of Kansas. We did two albums with that. It was a great band. Uh, we had a record company uh, with MCA Records. The second album was did with Bob Ezrin, and it was. We spent so much time on that record, and so much. We had a great team of people with MCA, and right before it was released, they fired everybody, and a whole new. Co- team came in with MCA and they're not gonna come into a company and go, Wow, look at all this great stuff you've got here. They, they wow, well, no wonder you guys were going down the tubes. All you have was a bunch of crap and they just put everything on the back burner and that belt was barely released. And you know with that you know, they kind of promotion stuff and at that time in our career it was it was difficult to do much touring at all. Uh, Steve Morris had his sights on bigger things than that he he, he had to move on but it was it was great having the band he's a tremendous guy very humble easygoing Uh, Steve Morris knows how to do everything he's a pilot he's a farmer he can fix any kind of machinery Uh, he raises motorcycles has his own studio is an engineer or producer and still finds time to be one of the best guitar players that ever lived.
2: <laughs> wow, yeah, I remember always seeing him on the cover of um guitar player magazine winning best guitar player of the year.
0: Yeah. Did, did you pick well, any
2: techniques up from him or did you guys get to like swap some different, you know, techniques like hey, I'll show you uh, this, show me that?
0: Well, uh, yeah, I when we first got started, he had just won the third year in a row of, you know, the Tarder Player Magazine's best, and it was now in the Hall of Fame, and now we're in Phil's basement working on material, and it was just, it was pretty intimidating, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, he started, to, with the most amazing thing I ever found with Steve was in, uh, okay, we're working on something, okay, I got an idea for uh verse. Well, where's that going to go? And all of a sudden, you can see the wheels turning in his head. And it's trying to create the next section of where it's going to go. And so he's playing a chord structure with his with this thumb. He's playing these odd bass lines. And then on top of it, he's picking this melody line. So he's playing chord bass melody line. Oh, no, let's go this way. Or if we do... And this is all stuff that he's creating at the moment. Wow. And just to watch him compose at will like this, and it, it, he was so fluid in it that we said, stop. I mean, he, he would just skip over so many great things that he did. You know, go back to what you just did. What was that? You know, And we really had to almost pull the reins in him because he was just, I mean, I've never seen anybody that was so instantly musical. And not just, well, how about if we hit a G chord here? I mean, it was chords, dissonant chords with melody lines on top and bass lines. I mean, it was unbelievable to, to watch. That's you know, That alone was the most amazing thing I ever saw about him, let alone how he's <laughs> playing. Wow.
2: Wow, well, so what do you think of these... Um <clears throat> These newer prog bands have uh, kind of fallen fall in the footsteps of Kansas. You know, bands like Dream Theater, Porcupine Tree. How do you feel about the neo prog movement that's been going on?
0: Well, I think it's, it's great. Uh, it's a tough road for them. Uh, you know, progressive music, you know, I don't think it'll ever have a, a comeback. Uh, the way the music scene is going, I seriously doubt it. Uh, I don't even know what rock and roll. In general, history it's got. I mean, everything is now so diva driven and fashion driven and just crap driven. Uh, it's just so poppy. I mean, worse than it really ever was. Uh, I, I just don't, you know, there will always be a, an era for that. But, you know, the, the era of, you know, Chester Toll, ELP, yes. Uh, King Crimson and all that, when those were in the forefront, you know those I think from this moment on there will always be a very distant murmur in the in the music business and in, in concerts and everything else so it's 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 a tough road for them
2: well Rich, hey, I really really appreciate you doing the interview with us today. I um, excited about the show tonight. you know you guys um you know have a have a great show, and thanks so much for taking the time.
0: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, too.
2: Thanks, Richard. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: going all the way back to 1976 from the Left Overture album. That was Carry On, My Wayward Son. I want to thank Richard William for taking the time to be on the show and I want to thank Aaron for taking the time to do the interview. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to find out more information about us, you can find us at www.ironcityrocks.com You'll find links to our MySpace, Twitter and Facebook, so we invite you to follow those. And stay tuned for next time for some more great music. Thank you.